Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. that Marian Anderson should raise her voice in tribute to the noble Lincoln whom mankind will ever honor. Miss Marian Anderson. Today, I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and every week, every opportunity we have, it is our responsibility, it is our duty, it is our pledge to empower you, our listeners, to knowing, being, and impacting the world around you. So, therefore, we welcome you to join us on this illuminating journey. There's always plenty of opportunities to do so. The primary way to join, if you want to get your voice heard on the air, if you want to get your thoughts, your two cents, four cents, six cents, a dollar in, commentary, monologue, dialogue, trip, vibe, whatever it is. I just made up a word. You're welcome to do so by calling the number 347-237-5230. That is the number to call to do so. Also, uh, if you're interested in joining in the conversation but don't want to be on the air, then our line is open 
And you can do that. You can um, get in on the chat line. Go to our website, blogtalkradio.com slash zero today. And uh, get in on the chat line. It's open. It's working fine. So, hey, we're good. Also, follow us on our Facebook page, Zero Network on Facebook. You can also follow, uh, share the commentary and the dialogue there. If you'd like to do you send me a personal email, PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Prophesy. Hit us up on Skype. Hit us up on uh, uh, just about everywhere. <laughs> we're all around, and we intend to be around for a while. And we just thank you, our supporters, our listeners from around the world, all five of you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But thank you because of your support. You make this show happen, and we just appreciate everything you do. You can always support the show uh, going to LorenzoTNeal.com. And you can see how you can donate. You can order a copy of my book, uh, Breaching the Family. You can support this ministry, this radio broadcast, however you choose to do so. And we'll be giving you other opportunities if you're advertisers, you you have business, whatever. Yeah, yeah, we want to help you help us help you. (laughs) Having said all that, it is good that we are here today on this beautiful Wednesday uh, morning in February. Black History Month, and we open again with uh, the cut from Marian Anderson singing in front of the Lincoln Memorial in 1939. Uh, that was a wonderful opportunity that broke barriers, uh, and so we salute uh, our history, our heritage, and our future uh, this week during our broadcast. We had a very busy week, and but I, I, before I get too far off, let us pray first. Let's pray, and then I'll tell you about what's been going on and what it'll be going on, and talk about what we'll get into what we're going to be talking about today, black history, uh, contemporary myths and martyrdom, and all the things associated and acquainted with that topic. And I'll tell you, I got some things lined up I think it's going to be very interesting, so stay tuned. Don't tune me out or turn me off. But let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for another opportunity to be able to do this broadcast. We thank you for those who will be listening. Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart and the information that we give out be acceptable in your sight. In your name we pray, O God, our Redeemer. Amen. So, um, it's it's been a lot. I've been trying to catch up with a, a lot of the news, and there's been so much going on. We've had so much going on. It is for those of us in African Methodism. It is the uh, celebration and acknowledging of the founder of our, the founding of our and establishment of our denomination. Our founder, Bishop Richard Allen, who was the first consecrated bishop in African Methodism, was born uh, this week on. February 14th, 1760, born a slave in Delaware uh, at the age of 17, purchased his freedom for $2,000, converted his his master to Christianity, and went on to be a uh, a stalwart and pious man who helped build the faith of the Africans in uh, the 17th, 18th century, on into the 19th century. is breakthrough. I mean, this guy was phenomenal in what he did. He did. He was an entrepreneur. He was a business uh, entrepreneur. He was a uh, uh, a pastor, and he was uh, a uh, uh, what can I say? What else is uh, serviceman? You know, he 
provided great services to the people in Philadelphia and throughout what was then the established colonies. Had to take a swig of water. So we we acknowledged him uh, this week. So it's been a very busy week. And uh, we're just excited about it. Now, I know a lot of you watched the Grammys on Sunday night. It used to be something I looked forward to because of the performances and the artists. And I'll be honest with you, I don't watch the awards show anymore because they've just gotten away from the, uh, uh, I don't know, it's just, you know, you went, you'd watch those shows to see how how elegant, the elegance of the show, you know, the performances and all that stuff. You know, you, you saw celebrities dressed up, and now they just dress anyway. But anyway, I digress. So uh, there were a couple standouts in the Christian arena, uh, one being Spokey Norfolk, uh, my good friend who uh, who won a Grammy for his, his album. The other one, uh, uh, rapper Lecrae, who won a Grammy for collaborating on an album. And interesting in his acceptance speech, he, he said he had to give... Uh, you know, you can't be victorious without Christ, you know, something to that nature I've forgotten. Uh, so that was that. Prince was there. Some other celebrities were there. There were a lot of great music collaborations. I, I did not see the show. I saw videos and I saw folks, Facebook clips and stuff like, you know, YouTube videos, Facebook clips, whatever. And they seemed to be, uh, it, <clears throat> excuse me, seemed to be pretty good. And, of course, there was the issue with Kanye West, <laughs> who was... I, I don't know, it was depending on who you speak to, he was either uh, self-deprecating deprecating when he went up and almost interrupted um, Beck's uh, acceptance for uh, album of the year or something like that. Anyway, but the, I think the most most controversial or has turned out to be the most controversial thing from that event from that, uh, Grammys on Sunday was Beyonce's performance of Precious Lord. I've seen and read more than I care to <laughs> about Beyonce and her and her performance. Uh, the moment I started hearing, uh, how, depending on who you were, you know, if you're a fan of Beyonce, they were saying she did wonderful. If you're a critic of Beyonce, they were saying it was horrible. Uh, I watched the video and I said I I watched the clip. On YouTube, and I thought it was okay, but uh, <clears throat> excuse me. When you're talking about a son, a hymn like that, uh, the great Thomas Dorsey, known as the father of the gospel music, wrote that hymn in the twenties, and it was the hymn favorite hymn of Dr. Martin Luther King, and was portrayed in the movie Selma, and sang by uh, secular artist Legacy. And so the critique has been that uh Lettucey should have performed the the song because she performed it in the music and because the song performed by John Legend in common was from the movie uh, it should have only it should have been done by the actress who portrayed uh who actually performed it. And there have been preachers, uh one in particular, uh Jamal Bryant, my friend uh, pastor in Amy Church, who who has joined the bandwagon of critiquing, saying that uh, 
Beyonce should not have performed. It should have gone to Lettucey. Uh And, there, you know, it depends. I saw the movie. I saw the movie, uh, Selma, and I heard her singing. And, of course, she has that deep, soulful rendering of it as we ha- have come to hear it. You know, precious Lord, you got to have that soul to sing it. And the critique was Beyonce did not uh Reflected soul. She didn't. And at one point in the video I saw, it appeared that she raised her hand as if she was feeling it, yet it did not emote through the performance. It was a dry performance. Uh, dry in the sense that, you know, that song's supposed to take you to church. You understand what I'm saying? It's supposed to move you, it's supposed to drive you. And that was not, that was lacking in Beyonce's performance. That is the critique both for myself and many others who know how the song should be. You don't just sing it to sing it. You got to sing it. And so and church folk are, 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 of course, speaking out because they're saying, how could someone who is nominated for an album that talked about being drunk in love, talked about uh, surfboarding and all of that, sing such a song. Uh, and it's the same way some people are saying about rapper Kendrick Lamar uh, and his song, you know, he has a song called Black of the Berry, the Sweet of the Juice, and yet at the same time professes to be a, you know, uh, a Christian and uses, you know, such language in his raps and then says that, you know, his music is for God or from God or something like that. Of course, that, that you know, that is what the church folk are arguing. Whether that is a true critique or not, because, you know, some of the best gospel singers have also been in some of the worst life, you know, had some of the worst lifestyles, historically. And we, we know that. So whether that is a valid argument or not has to be has yet to be determined. Uh, but it does raise questions about the value of our music regarding gospel, uh, the sacredity of the music. Uh, is it only worth being performed by those who are themselves gospel artists? Should it not ref- uh renderings? And, of course, that has been an argument for centuries, not just in the black community, uh, gospel community, but also, you know, in the broader Christian community uh, regarding secular and sacred music, who could perform it, who could arrange it, and how it was to be, uh, that will probably continue. But the one thing we should all take away from this is that um, part of that reflects our culture, and that is being lost. To have an artist like Beyonce, as talented as she is, uh, it does take away from some of the the deepness, the depth of our culture and the overwhelming uh, meaning of such sacred music to movements that empowered our people from being oppressed. Uh, and and I, that's what I'm saying. That's what I take away from that. But, you know, it is what it is when it comes to things like that. We have to be able to say that we have to be able to understand and differentiate between performance and the emotive that is created by the performance, the uh, the ethos and the pathos, not necessarily the logos. Uh, when we talk about things of that nature, the 
ethos? What is the environment created? Pathos. What is the emotion created? And logos. What is the you know what is the logic or what is uh, how should we carry out, react to it, respond to it? Is that directive behind all of that? And I think that's what we're lacking in the gospel music industry, as well as uh, you know overall uh, black communities. So that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about this morning. How can we uh, how we deal with it? And you know, it uh, it, it hurts, but it also is 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 it uh, is casting a light onto how far we have uh, assimilated into uh, the oppressed life. How far we've allowed uh, those who have once oppressed us. How we've taken on their very same character, their same ambition, and their same thing. And I'm not saying it was not present during the time of of uh, uh, civil rights and whatever movements uh, during the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that it is what it is. You know, it has become something that is just as oppressive. And instead of liberating it. Liberating us as those songs did, as those sacred hymns did, as those sacred uh, spirituals did. They liberated us to act. Uh, now our music is not liberating us to act, but uh, oppressing us. Oppressing us more than we care to admit. So that's the kind of stuff we're going to talk about. A lot of things, a lot of other things. Uh, of course, you still hear in the news about um, Bobby Christina. Um and it's bearing some said that she is uh regaining consciousness, she's moving. Uh there were reports that they were planned to the family had agreed to to um take her off life support so that she could die on the same day as her mother, which is today. And so far I've been trying to watch around read around and I have not read any report stating that she has made the transition or that the family has pulled the plug. I have read uh, reports that she was, you know, slowly recuperating and coming back. How true that, I do not know. I also read reports where Bobby Brown has has, uh, uh, has harshly fought against, uh, stated that uh, some of the stories that have been uh, being put out there are inaccurate. So I, you know, I really don't know. Maybe some of you know more about it than I do. But it's very clear that some people have been using this Bobby Christina moment as a means of, you know, just getting their own attention. Uh, one person in particular, um, uh, Juanita Bynum, and uh, in her attempt to. Um, I, I can't call it sincere because I don't know what to call it. But during one of her uh, meetings, services, uh, she led people in prayer for Bobby Christina. And this is, you know, of course, shortly after learning of the news, she led them in prayer. But she spent a lot more time doing something other than praying. You have to watch the clip. You can go to uh, YouTube and type uh Stand with uh, Bobby Christina or something. One need to buy the praise for Bobby Christina. You can just Google it; you'll find it. 
uh, she spends a lot of time declaring, decreeing, and such and so and so forth. And uh, Bobby Christina, of course, gets lost in that whole thing. And eventually, it turns around and gets back to her. Uh, by her, I mean, I mean, um, wanting to buy them. So I don't know what I, I really don't know what it is, uh, what uh, if her condition has changed or not. But I do agree that uh, we all should be praying for Bobby Christina uh, because it is it is it is a tragic moment. And if the Lord allows her to pull through, she will have a testimony. You know, for one, she will have a testimony. And two, it may it, it may help us to sympathize more with these children of celebrities. I I I I kind of grieve now in advance for uh, Northwest and Blue Ivy, you know, because these children once they become at age, just like Sasha Malia Obama, once these children become of age, they are going to be scrutinized. They are going to be, I mean, harassed for for small things, and it's very difficult. It will be a very difficult life for them, especially if something tragic happens to their parents. Uh, suppose Jay-Z and and Beyonce go through a very difficult divorce. You know, it would be plastered all over the news and Blue Ivy is a teenager. Oh, my goodness, can you imagine what that would be like? Uh, or similar with Kanye and uh, what's her name? Kim Kardashian. I said all that to say that uh, as I kind of – Segue to what we're actually talking about today. We really need to be uh, become more cognizant and aware of of our of our heritage and our people, and we need to be protective and not exploited. We should not be exploiting them, but we should be uh, protecting. And uh, one more thing, I wanted to know, I want to say before we take a break. Um, of course, you know you're familiar with the preachers of L.A. You're familiar with uh, how it's been going on with that. There is a Preachers of Detroit now that has been launched. That has gone into production. And (laughs) they now have, they will be having a watch party for the Preachers of Detroit. And it's a comical cast. It's a one, well, the cast it reflects the big time preachers in Detroit, Bishop Deal, uh Charles Ellis, uh Coletta Vaughn, who is I have great deep respect for, uh David uh Bishop I mean Pastor uh David Bullock. I have good respect deep respect for him. And one of the Clark's Clark sisters, uh Dorinda Clark Cole. And I think there's some others I may not know, uh, not familiar with, but those are the ones uh, that I know who have agreed to be on the show. I don't know how they portray will portray these persons or not, but I know uh, regarding Bishop Ellis and uh, Bishop Vaughn, uh, I I know them personally, so I've met them in the past as as you know I had opportunity to meet them, and they they're humble people. And I hope that their their character does not get distorted by the show as the characters of uh, uh, McClendon, Dietrich Haddon, and Bishop Noel Jones were distorted 
and I say distorted, I can't. I, I guess distorted may be a bad, may not be the proper word, but uh, ex, you know, simply as I don't even want you to see the word exposed, but uh, you know, revealed probably is the best word. I don't know. We, you know, we. We want to hold our preachers up in the highest name, and we know that they are human uh, and whatever. But anyway, these shows exploit that. But they're going to have a watch party for preachers of Detroit, uh, and that's going to be in Detroit, of course, on February the 20th. And um, it's at the Garden Center in Detroit. And uh, you know they're not selling tickets as far as I'm aware of. But they will, you know, they're expecting a lot, a, a lot of people <laughs> to be there, uh, and maybe you can catch it. I don't know if it's going to be aired on, or on the Oxygen Network or not. Uh, I'm trying to see. I just I'm, I pulled up the flyer. I'm just trying to see if they're don't. Far as I see right now. Uh, they're not going to have a, a – it's not like a ticket event. Uh, it doesn't say you have to purchase tickets or anything. But if you're in the Detroit area and you would like to uh, see the premiere uh Preachers of Detroit or you like to uh, engage them because most of the cast members will be on a panel discussing uh, whatever the, the elements of the show, if you want to attend that, it will be Friday the 20th uh, of this month. And at the Garden Center in Detroit. So uh, you can probably Google it, Preachers of Detroit, and find more information. But I just thought I'd say that, share that with you. I'm going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to be talking about our subject for the day. And um, the making of black history. Myths and martyrdom in contemporary. Uh, there. So we'll be right back after these messages. Quicksilver cashback card from Capital One. It's not the limit to cash I earn every month card. It's not the I only earn decent rewards at the gas station card. It's the no games, no signing up, everyday rewarding, kung fu fighting, silver lightning in a bottle, bringing home the bacon cashback card. This is the Quicksilver card from Capital One. Unlimited 1.5% cashback on every purchase, everywhere, every single day. So ask yourself, what's in your wallet? I wasn't born to push papers. I was born to push myself. To go where I'm needed. To keep this country safe. I was born with the backbone and brain power to take on any mission. This is my office. I was born ready. GoCoastGuard.com At Farmers, we make you smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Talk to Hawaii. 
What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Friends, there's nothing as soothing as having a sweet aroma penetrate all of your senses. Peacock, the newest candle fragrance by Heatcentric, is that aroma. Peacock is a vegan hand-poured candle that fills the room with a soothing aroma that everyone is guaranteed to enjoy. Peacock by Heatcentric is the fragrance developed by Lady Jocelyn Sanders that's designed to reflect the glory in everyday life. I guarantee you are not disappointed when you order your candle today from Heatcentric. I have one at home and in my office, and I tell you, it's so good. It helps me relax at home, and it helps me concentrate and stay on task in the office. You need to order yours today by visiting LadySanders.com. And while they also pick up a copy of her book, The Encounter, I'm telling you, you will love both. Peacock by Heatcentric, reflecting the glory in everyday life. Friends, do you feel a call to ministry that is a tug on you that's greater than you can imagine? I want to invite you to join Bishop Adrian Williams and her assembly for the School of the Prophets on Saturday, February 21st. You can register right now. The School of the Prophets is, is a workshop that is geared to helping you understanding the call of God on your life, whatever it may be. You need to come. You can go uh, to uh, you can go and check it out simply by visiting School of the Prophets United Nations International Worship Center. Is where it will be held as Saturday, February twenty first. Uh, you can go to my. I have a link on my personal Facebook page. I post a link to the Zero Network page, but also go to Facebook events. Uh, you can check it out. That's the School of the Prophets I've been with Bishop Williams, and I've attended, and I tell you, she's a dynamic workshop leader and very insightful information regarding the prophetic ministry. If you think you're called to be a prophet or you think you are, you have a calling of God and you just want to learn more about the workings of the church, you need to try, attend this School of the Prophets. I guarantee you'll be blessed. I don't, You know, I don't endorse a lot of things, but this is one of the things that I do endorse, and I think that you will greatly be blessed by this. So if you're in the Jackson Metro area and you you want to learn more about this, come out to the School of the Prophets, February 21st, United Nations Worship Center. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal.
All right. Welcome back to the today. Again, I'm your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. We're jumping into the topic of the day. Black, the making of black history. Contemporary myths and modern. And, and, you know, I'm reflecting on this because, you know, we're taught black history regarding the events in the 19th and the 20th century. That's the 1800s and the 1900s. That's where a lot of our history comes from. But we've been making a lot of history since then. And some of it has been good. Some of it has not been good. And I just want to discuss some of that. But before I get into that, uh, just this, I don't know if this week, but uh, a clip recently uh, came, you know, got went viral. And it's a clip of uh, author, comedian, TV show host, radio show host, um, Steve Harvey. And apparently during one of his uh, Ask Steve moments on his television show, a lady asked a question about history, saying that she was not a history buff and she didn't know how to react when she was around history buffs. And... She wanted advice from Steve about how to react um, to those people who are more astute historically than her, or on history rather than her. And so here's the clip. I want to. I'm gonna play the clip. It's about two minutes long, and you're gonna hear what Steve says. It's what he says that has gone viral. Uh, Steve says that he doesn't give a damn about about uh, slavery. So here's the clip. Take a listen. Good morning. We have Cabell here, and she has a question for you about some kind of social, awkward moments. I'll let her explain. Hi, Steve. Hi. So Greensboro has a lot of museums, but it has even more American history buffs. Problem is, I'm not one. Whenever I'm in circles of people talking about history, my eyes get wide and I panic. I pray that no one will ask me about historical topics. So what I do is I just avoid eye contact and I head straight to the bar. But I need a better strategy. What should I do if I find myself in a conversation with a history buff that goes over my head? I want you to look right at the person and do this right here. They ask you something about the past. You say, I don't really care for slavery. Oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. It works every damn time. That's what I do when I'm sitting around a bunch of socialites and they start talking about the past and stuff. That's my line. I just say it and walk off. I have my little drink in my hand. I just say it and walk off. I don't really care for slavery and walk off and leave them sitting. I don't give a damn if they talking about Christopher Columbus. I don't, I, don't, I don't give a damn if they talking about a treaty. I don't give a damn about an amendment, a bill. I don't care what the subject is. It could be prohibition. I don't care what the subject is. When you get through saying it, and I don't know what the hell you talking about, my favorite line is, I don't give a damn about slavery and walk off. All right, so he is saying, now the question that she asked was about American history. And the question she asked was, how do I, you know, how do I react 
and he says that anytime he's asked a question he just can't answer and he's ignorant about, he just says, I don't give a damn about slavery. Now, <laughs> this is wrong on so many levels, primarily because, one, whenever someone says things like that, they are openly displaying how ignorant they are and how they care not to be learned. You know, how they, and that's the problem with you. Now, you can dismiss this as a comedic reaction. You know, he wanted to get a laugh. But the under the undertones says it's the undertones that we have to address. The undertones of this says the says to persons like myself, not only who are academics, but who are, you know, who try to be astute regarding history. You know, make sure that you know it's not revisionary, but make sure that it's authentic and and, and correct, so we can articulate articulate to a contemporary audience. When he says, I don't care about slavery, whenever he's addressed with something that's uh, history, uh, he doesn't know, that just says to him, I don't want to learn. And if he said, I don't want to learn, particularly with regards to, and to use slavery as a means to say that, it's very disturbing to me. Because you got to understand, this guy has gained, has garnered the respect of millions of people, not just African Americans, but millions of people who write to his show with strawberry letters, who uh, subscribe to him for advice that he gives. And, and mind you, he was on the uh, Today Show, I believe it was Monday, and he says, you know, he is he 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 makes he he says that he is nowhere near being a trained scholar trained therapist, trained in anything, but he's made a lot of mistakes. He's failed a lot. And because he has failed a lot, it therefore gives him a little more authority uh to dish out the advice that he but what's what's it's not so much as the fact that he says I don't care about slavery but what this says to to persons like myself and others is that he'd rather stay ill informed than to to really can understand that, you know, some may try to be apologetic for him and say that what he was saying is that he does not care to bring up or rehash the imagery, the narratives of slavery as has been promoted through movies like Roots and others, you know, uh, 12 Years of Slave, things of that nature. And, and probably, that perhaps that was what he meant. We don't know. We cannot get inside the man's head and articulate what he was thinking. But uh, to say that to a white woman, one, doing Black History Month, two, and to uh, say it in a way that's say, look, just forget about it. We don't need to talk about it. That is the problem that has been plaguing the black community for so long. That is why we struggled with the oppression for so long because we just didn't want to talk about it. It's over. Once we got emancipated, once the Reconstruction era happened and we began to get up with mobility, even in the midst of things like that, we'd rather not talk about it than talk about it. It's sad. Uh, there's a Dr. Boris Watkins. 
who is not only a scholar, uh, who is also an academic. Not only is he a, a professor, a scholar, uh, but he's an entrepreneur. And he addressed this uh, on one of his writings. I can't remember. On one of his shows. Uh, he does a YouTube uh, show. Uh, and he invites various people in there to discuss. Uh, but it's one of the things that he 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 says just because Steve Harvey doesn't care, should we not? Does that mean that we don't care or we shouldn't care? And that's the problem. Um, that uh, it's not so much that we shouldn't care. It's the fact that the history has been revised to make slavery look better. I mean, they were doing, they're doing now what the white revisionists did, what the white slave owners did back in the day, making slavery look good for black people. Oh, not all people were slaves. Not all slaves were whipped. Uh, And, of course, you know, historically we have to acknowledge the only reason slavery became uh, legal is because of a black man who had an indentured servant who was, you know, also was black. And in the courts of Virginia, uh, when that person sued his uh, master, the courts determined that this person uh, was not just indentured for a small a small amount of time, but was to be indentured for life. A black man brought a lawsuit against another black man, and that legalized that legalized and justified uh, the modern slavery, uh, not modern slavery, uh, institutional slavery in the colonies. You can go back and research that. I, uh, you just Google who was the first slave owner, legal slave owner, and you'll find that. Matter of fact, I, I think I'm going to Google that. But uh, it was the case that a black man brought against another black man. Uh, uh, and and that in that case, you know, it, it it that that brought about the institution of slavery. Um, but Steve Harvey, uh, oh, hold up, I'm, I'm googling this. Um, Anthony Johnson is the name. Um, I'm saying um too much. <laughs> Excuse me. Anthony Johnson came to the colonies from uh, from Angola. He got his freedom, and he became a property owner in the colony of Virginia, and he had slaves. And I think it was... Yes. Uh, no, he was a he was an indentured servant. Now, according to, and I'm just going by Wikipedia, and I'm getting off. I'm gonna get back on the point. I just wanted to get this information out there. Uh, when when Johnson was released for his turn two, he was recognized as free. And in 1651. He owned land, curse of land, and he had 
an indentured servant, John Kaser. And Kaser was the one who was was indentured and claimed that his indenture was up. So Kaser took um, Anthony Johnson to case. Anthony Johnson argued that he owned Kaser. And the court the court stood beside him. And this was the first judicial determination that in 13 colonies holding that a person who had committed no crime could be held in servitude for life. Wow. So, that is. Black man, another black man, is why institutional racism and institutional slavery uh, was recognized in the states, in the colonies, that later was continued on by the states. And as you know, several of our presidents, founding fathers, had slaves. So let's just get that myth out the way. But anyway, for him to say that I don't care about slavery and the people to laugh shows that all of those who participated in uh, his, his chosen ignorance. Now, the woman initially says she, you know, she just wanted to be able to uh, have something to say when she was around her history buffs, friends. And he said, don't say anything. Just act ignorant. You know, don't matter if you know something or not. And unfortunately, that is what is happening to our young people today. They don't know because they are ignorant. The history that's being portrayed to them, particularly with the onslaught of a lot of these movies, like uh, Rosewood, uh, 12 Years a Slave, of course, Selma, and many other movies that are now coming out about institutional institutional racism, segregation, discrimination, and, of course, oppressive slavery. These young people are is raising, is raising an anger in them and an angst, and some of it is justified. Some is not justified. But the problem overall is that most of them are still choosing, still choosing to remain ignorant regarding it altogether. By ignorant, they're simply saying that, well, that was that time, so it's not for us. It doesn't apply to us now, so we shouldn't really care about it. The civil rights movement, well, that happened long ago. And it's sad because we're, we're, for example, we just, we we funeralized uh, one uh, one leader, I guess you could say, activist in civil rights uh, movement in the state of Mississippi, another one in the state of Arkansas, and... And both of these persons worked to desegregate uh, lunch counters and other uh, other places that they were not allowed to, not allowed to even go to, much less sit at. The reality is that they did so not for their own accord, but they did so knowing the consequences of their action would lead to jail and perhaps even death. 
you me. So for a person, a celebrity of nonetheless, a wealthy black celebrity nonetheless, a wealthy black influential celebrity to say, just say, I don't give a damn about slavery to anything regarding history. It doesn't matter, in his own words, it don't, it don't matter what it is. Just say, I don't give a damn about slavery. Shows how far the ignorance has been propagated that we don't need to know about our history. We don't need to care about our history. And we don't even need to regard our history as worth learning. Some of you may be saying, that's a bit extreme. He really wasn't saying it like that. And as stated before, uh, we cannot say what was in his mind. All we can say is that it did more harm. His words did more harm than help. And while it was met with laughter and applause, and even the white woman said, oh, that's so awesome. The undertone of the message is stay ignorant intentionally. And don't try to learn. And don't try to liberate yourself. So why why should we care? Or why shouldn't we care? In light of the question that Steve answered so <laughs> comedically, why should we care? Why should we not care regarding this? You got to understand, um, for a lot of our elders now, those who are in their 70s and 80s, like my grandparents and a lot of the members of my church, those memories are still fresh. They're still fresh that they couldn't vote, you know, as teenagers. Uh, that they were limited in the spots they could go. They were limited in the interactions they could have. They were limited and in even into the education and the schools of education, higher education and primary and secondary education. They were limited in that. And it's still fresh to a lot of them. So the movies like Selma and the movies other you know, other movies that portray such things pull on their heartstrings <clears throat> and urge them bring up that great sense of awareness that Enlightened them as to who they were during those during those moments. You know, you have thirty second thirty second montage on on the news. You know, like big big news, CNN, ABC, NBC. I don't know, not even include Fox, but uh, you know, attributing. Maybe less than a minute to acknowledging that fifty years ago such and such um entered this and and sat in protest, and then they'll go on to the next news story that's how that's how irrelevant our history has become a short sound bite a short segment, not more than two minutes dedicated to some historical moment. And I'm talking about now doing this Black History Month, Black Heritage Month. Month. So what do we? I mean, what do we sing to the children when we talk about the making of Black History? And we're dealing with now what have become myths, because these these 
actual events are no more than moments in history. Whereas we teach the way Columbus came to America, not just a moment in history, we teach that as history. Our students learn about the presidents, the founding fathers, and all that they did as history. And they don't talk about how they exploited the backs of Africans to make this country what it is. There's one pastor, David Manning, out of uh, New York City, pastor of Atla Worldwide Ministries. I had the privilege of meeting with him, speaking with him on a number of occasions. And uh, we were together recently at an at, uh, event uh, regarding abortions in the black community. He and I sat down and talked. Uh, and, you know, I have a great deal of respect for him. But he got on his pulpit and, you know, <laughs> he sometimes, I wonder if he understands the words that are coming out of his mouth. And I'm, I'm saying this out of love and respect. But he got up there and he proclaimed, he said, you niggas don't know anything. And then he even says, that even way back in Africa, niggas, you never had anything. And you can go, you know, go to his YouTube page, Otla Worldwide, and you can see it's it's there, it's out there, you know. <coughs> the video went viral. And for him to say such things, for him to say, you ain't have, you don't have nothing now, you ain't never had nothing, presents for the, uh, to his congregation, not to the, not to others, but to, to his congregation, a sense of nothing, you know. Not a sense of entitlement as, as some are proclaiming that black men, black women have. You know, whenever you hear some Republicans, and I'm a good Republican, you know, I'm a, I, I, I have espoused some of the ideas of the Republican Party, conservative. But to hear when, when they talk in code and say entitlement programs, they're not talking about poor people in, in general. They're, 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 they are, but they're also talking about black. Poor people who feel that they are entitled and, and need to get this from the government. Uh, James McWhorter in his book, Losing the Race. <laughs> Excuse me. If you've never read that book, you should because it's really, it's really informative. It talks about um, the cult of victimization, how blacks have, have made themselves into victims. <laughs> Excuse me. And how this sense of victimization kind of overflowed into contemporary views of ourselves and our history. Most of us, young people in contemporary black America, we, we, we view our, our history from the perspective not of accuracies, because we, didn't, we weren't taught accuracy. We were taught our whitewashed black history. When we were talking about Marcus Garvey, we weren't taught how much of a nationalist that he was, militant nationalist, but how much of a, later on, how of a socialist he was. And that he pandered to particular socialist ideas that led to his uh, deportation back to Jamaica or wherever, uh, the Indies or whatever, the Caribbean, wherever he was from. We talk about 
Malcolm. And in next month will mark, I believe, the 50th anniversary of his assassination, Malcolm X. Uh, will whitewash his militancy. And then when it gets to Dr. King, the latter part of his life, he was shedding the affront of nonviolence and taking on a more nationalist and militaristic approach to equal rights. He was getting bolder in his proclamation against the injustices of the United States, not just domestic injustice, but also uh, foreign, when he was speaking against the war in Vietnam. And to bring it home, we see now that we are celebrating black history, not from the perspective of accomplishments, which we did when I was a kid, you know, the first this, the first that, Mae Jemison, the first black astronaut, first female black astronaut, uh, you know, first this and first that. It's amazing. We're still having first in this 21st century. There's still people becoming the first black police chief or first black mayor in some cities, you know, in some areas. But we have yet to, at least in the state of Mississippi, to have a first black, uh, a first black governor. First black, uh, black lieutenant governor in the state of Mississippi. We have a whole congressional district that it was carved out because of racism. And the vast majority of that district is predominantly black. And so far, the only person who's been elected to that district to serve in this district as congressman has been black. Because anybody else don't stand a chance. If you're another color, a race, you pretty much ain't going to get a chance. You know, this is a black-dominated. We're going to keep our district. Anyway. We have now reflected our history, not from the first, not from the things that we accomplished, but from the perspective of the martyr. 21st century black history <coughs> reflects the loss that we have brought upon ourselves. And it's from that that we are now building a history. It is from that that we cry black lives matter. It is from that that we are saying that we need more. We need more legislation. We need more movement. We need more unity. It's from the usurping of violence and martyrdom of our young black men and women that we're now identifying the need for such a change. It is a sad thing. It's a sad thing that we now must use death. And, and, and let me put a pause there. Um, death was also the rallying call for a lot of the civil rights action, legislative action. The death of the four girls 
in Birmingham at 16th Street. Excuse me. The death of those four girls by that bombing stirred up a community, both black and white, to engage in civil rights protests. The deaths of the three men here in Philadelphia, Mississippi, one who happened to be white, two who happened to be black, stirred and rallied others to the cause to support Freedom Summer, Freedom Rides. The death of many mega evers spurred others to engage the authorities and to challenge them regarding what was right for people of all races. The death of Martin Luther King Jr., though it spurred riots in some major cities, spurred the hearts and minds of people to hurriedly engage and change. Now, and here's the thing, you know, T-57, when the Supreme Court ruled that that segregation was not equal, you know, separate but equal was unjust, when they ruled that and demand and, and and said that all states must integrate. Do you know most states didn't integrate? Matter of fact, a lot of the states did not integrate places until the mid seventies, some twenty years after that decree. And then there are some school districts in Louisiana, in the state of Louisiana right now, in the state of Louisiana that are still segregated. By segregated I mean standards of the the ruling by the Supreme Court. And this is some 40, 50, 60 years later. And while we have integrated, we, we're seeing a lot of things. But yes, the martyrs of that era spurred forth the reaction that was necessary to bring about causative legislation. Okay, causative legislation is what got what we got us to where we are today as blacks. Reactionary causative legislation. And some of you may agree with that, some of you may not agree with that. It doesn't matter. The fact is, uh, even spurred on and and you know, if you, the historical fact is that most of the legislation that that benefited us was reactionary, and that's still the case because. No matter where you go, you're still going to see a lot of the legislation that happens regarding uh, issues, social issues, are reactionary. People vote after seeing something happen, negative. You know, for example, with the gun law that they were trying to promote after the uh, was the shooting up in Connecticut. They were trying to use those children's death, those people's death, as a means to bring about federal gun legislation. Of course, it failed. Uh, in that time, the 50s and 60s, the legislation that was brought about was reactionary and was enforced against some states' will. It went against some states, you know. They overruled state rights, which was the argument the Southern Democrats used 
And just so you know, the Southern Democrats did not become the modern-day Republicans. And, you know, uh, that that wasn't the case. There's there's another myth. In some cases, uh, some in some states they did, but not overall. You know, anyway, that I digress. That's something totally different. Uh, the contemporary perspective of Black history is reflected through the mar- through the I, the lives of the martyrs, and is more more so now as we articulate such things as Black Lives Matter. When we talk about lives regarding the uh, lives such as Michael Brown. Trayvon Martin, and in both of those cases, in both of those cases, the young men who lost their lives were proven to be, you know, offenders. Not, I'm not talking about, you know, records or anything, but I'm talking about it, they brought about their own demise in some way or form. Now, I'm not saying they were thugs. I, I don't think they were thugs, but, you know, what is clear is that they did not Controlled themselves to the point where they could have prevented their death. Now I'm not saying they can. I'm not saying they led to their own death. What I am saying, if I just said, I, you know, if I just said, that, I didn't mean it that way. What I'm saying is that the behavior that they did, because uh, particularly in the case of Mike Brown, you know, uh, the peaceful character that we were presented turned out not to be authentic, and it's still going because people are still perpetuating that myth. Of him, same with Trevon Martin, still perpetuating the myth of Trevon Martin. Uh, with the exception of Eric Garner, there's no myth. You know, that was clear out murder. But it, again, the police were wrong. I think, I think the police were wrong in the case of Michael Brown. Very clear. I don't think that dude should have, you know, killed that boy. He killed him. There's no doubt. He killed him. Uh, I think, because uh, we all know, old boy was wrong regarding Trevon Martin. Take those myths and then put them and raise them to the and elevate them to the height of of you know sainthood almost is to say is to neglect the reality. And I think part of the problem we have now. Regarding black history, is we are neglecting the reality of our history, and while we can whitewash it and make it look good, make it approved for textbooks so children won't be traumatized by what they read about the actual events, we really need to do a better job of saying to ourselves as a people. Yes, we've come this far by faith leaning on the Lord, but at the same time, we cannot and should not and will not deny the oppression that got us here on this these soil to begin with and the pressure that kept us on this soil for a long time. And even after being liberated legislatively by the oppression, that same oppression has now taught us to oppress ourselves. And we are oppressing ourselves it means that transcends what the white oppressors ever did to us. We are killing ourselves over sneakers. 
tennis shoes, killing ourselves over narcotics that give us a sense of power over one another. We are becoming the one who sold, the one who brought about this whole legislation, the idea of, you know, injustice for someone else. When I mentioned earlier, Anthony Johnson, who said that he owned this man for life. We are doing that to ourselves, not in the same manner, of course. But to think that we as a group in the Western society, in the United States of America, who has a gross uh, gross domestic product, nearly a trillion dollars, which is greater than some uh, established countries, to see to 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 see how oppressed we are because of ourselves sometimes, not only because of legislation that that has held us back, and not only because of opportunities that uh, were not afforded us, but because in today's society, because we have too many opportunities, and we yield to selfish ambition instead of a a unified delegated position. What am I mean by that? Instead of just saying that you know we are a collective people, diverse in our appearance, diverse in our actions, but a collective people unified by one thing: we are African Americans. We are descendants of Africans. We are black. We are Negro. We are proud. We live in this country, and we are not ashamed to be our color. We're not ashamed of our culture. We might be hood. We might be ghetto. We might be this, but we are one. And that's asking a lot. Well, I think I've ran in a lot. <laughs> I think I've I've gone on en- enough. Um, but it's reality. It is what it is. Listen, if you're in the Jackson area, on Sunday, the 22nd uh, of this month, February, the laborers of the Vineyard uh, community Evangelistic Ministry, their community choir. They will be holding their winter concert and will be at New Bethel Church here where I pastor in Jackson. You're invited to come out. That'll be, that'll be at uh, 3 o'clock that, I mean, 4 o'clock that afternoon. Uh, if you follow me on Facebook, I have more information about that. Also, if you're in the area, uh, stop by my church, New Bethel Church in Jackson, Mississippi. We have a young adult ministry and one of the events that they do monthly or regularly is the spoken word poetry night. And uh, I myself and a lot of other local poets, children, young adults, uh, adults, uh, even other celeb- you know local celebrities, they come and they they present words, poetry, song, comedy, you name it. It's open night, open mic. You're invited to come there. It's Thursday the 26th of February. So I want to put the plug in there for that. Also. Um, the fifth edition, fifth anniversary edition of my book, uh, Breacher of Family, will be released soon. So I want to invite you to order a pre-copy, uh, uh, pre-order a copy of that. I've expanded uh, some chapters, added some chapters, expanding on other chapters. I think it's going to be, is it going to be even more of a blessing to you? Uh, so go to my personal page. Uh, my my web my website lorenzotdo.com and you'll see information on how you can order that book and pre-order that book 
we want to be a blessing to you. Uh, and I thank you so much for being a blessing to me. And again, if you want to support this radio, uh, this, this is listener-supported radio. And again, you can do that by going to the webpage and subscribing to the show, liking the show on Blog Talk Radio, sharing the show with your friends, uh, going to uh, Zero Network on Facebook. And there you'll find how you can support, you can donate to help keep this radio show going. We appreciate it, all that you do. And I thank you very much. I was going to try to get to a clip of Paul Robeson, but I ran out of time. And Lord willing, I'll try to do that uh, next week. And uh, I'm going to have to do that next week because uh, he said some very interesting things. But uh, I got to get out of here. And I just want to say thank you for listening. I appreciate you so much. And thank you. I tell you, there's always something going on with <laughs> this. But uh we'll be uh we'll be back on there next week. And uh We'll be talking more. I, I, I'll get to that Paul Robeson clip because Paul Robeson talks about uh, colonialism and, and and him and his support of the uh, the uh, civil rights movement in the college, in the states. He was out of the state. So till next week, this is Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and I thank you for tuning in. Thank you for uh, listening. Join us next week, and we'll be back. The Lord willing, this is Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and I'm out.